biggest piece of advice is just break it down into pieces of things that you can you can start working on today. One of my theory or philosophies is that tomorrow starts today and I can keep talking about what I want to do tomorrow, but unless I start doing something today, it's never going to happen. This week's episode is with Kyle McFarlane, White Pine Athletics creator and coach for endurance athletes. We talk about kind of his history into sport, was a pro climber for a decade, and is an absolute monster on the bike. Rides uh, for Ventum now, and we just get to talk a lot about bike riding, how we met on a ride earlier this year. We go a little bit into the sport, why we love it so much, why bikes are so much fun. We talk about his background into becoming an endurance coach, the races from this season, and the big plans coming up for next year. This one was a ton of fun, and I hope you enjoy the bike talk. Yeah, so just jump right into it. How the hell are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. I honestly like, really appreciate it. I think it's going to be a blast. Yeah, dude, I'm super stoked. And so I met you, let's see, it was early spring for like yeah. 20 minutes on a ride that I could not hang. Dude, you hung. <laughs> it was. I was actually telling my wife the story about it. She's like, how do you know this guy? And I'm like, so we found him at a gas station Yeah. in, what, Spanish Fork, I think? Yeah. And... uh yeah, because that was like a 130-mile day. and Yeah, y'all did 130. Doing, I did like 110 or 115. Yeah, because you were doing around the lake, right? Yeah, yeah, started in Draper. And then I was rolling out of the parking lot, and then y'all came in. I was like, oh, I'm going to try and ride with these guys. Got a break for like 10 minutes, but then I was like, oh, they're fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the wheels fell off shortly after that. Like, I think we we held uh-huh. decently strong for a while, but I think you you caught us at like a moment of like feeling pretty, pretty good. Okay. And then later on things deteriorated for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I fell apart that ride pretty bad. Cause that was the first century of the year for yep. me and yep. I don't do much off season training. So that was, yeah, that was a wake up. It was a good day though. <laughs> yeah. So what's, uh, what's going on? Nothing, man. Just, uh, trying to ride my bike, um, as much as I can. And, uh, also just focusing like really heavily on like the business development side for, for my company. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, definitely. We'll get into a lot of the white pine athletic stuff. Sure. And, uh, so like, what's a week like for you on the bike? Uh, it tends to vary, uh, depending on, on like the responsibilities that I have within like my athletes. Um, so depending on the time of the season, like right now, uh on a good week i'm like this last week i think i did 18 hours on the bike okay like 250 ish miles nice um in the spring early summer that's pretty consistent it just it tends to fluctuate but usually around like 10 to 15 hours a week mm-hmm. on the bike so it's uh so just what what is white pan athletics so people know because we'll yeah. keep referencing it so. uh so white pan athletics we're a company focused on endurance coaching so working with uh primarily like road gravel and xc mountain bike athletes um so we have a we're based here out of salt lake but we have athletes all over the country and world so it's a remote based um business working with athletes who are just kind of looking for uh, professional level coaching to to kind of take their racing or riding to the next level and then within that we have a huge emphasis on junior development Um, so like my um my opinion has always been or has lately been that like development of racing in the u.s is kind of at what i think is an all-time low um and like the nike scene in utah is really big but beyond high school there's not a lot of opportunities for juniors racing Mm -hmm. and so we're trying to grow like a culture and a team of athletes um and kind of prep them for 
the transition into like bigger teams um, once they get out of high school. So nice. Yeah. yeah. Growing up, because I just started cycling. This is only my second year. And then like growing up in Idaho, there was no biking. Really? There was nothing. And then meeting kids here and like, they're like, yeah, I was on a mountain biking team in high school. I'm like, what's massive better? here? Yeah. It's we huge. have, so Utah, I, I could be wrong, but I think last time I heard Utah was the biggest league in the nation for NICA. And we have 18 or 18, 8,000 uh, junior riders racing, which is wow. absurd. Like that's a ton. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense that it's kind of the most popular, like the terrain just right here in the Valley is just, oh, it's insane. It's wild. Um, and I mean, you'll see it too. If you go ride corner Canyon uh-huh. on like a practice day, you'll see like 300 kids out there. It's, it's absurd. And Jeez. like, luckily, um, the, I think the Valley can kind of sustain it and we're constantly building more trails. Like out here mm-hmm. in Harriman, we're about to get like 70 or 70. I keep botching my number. Seven thousand, <laughs> seven thousand, seventy miles of a uh, single track. So like they're about That's, to do a ton yeah. of expansion and build like a, a Nika specific course. So, um, it's pretty cool. Like so Utah's what's gone the full development in. into like, what's the process of building more single track? Is it like city type yeah, funded? I, man, it's weird. I don't know a lot of the intricacies of it. Like okay. the stuff out here in Harriman, from what I understand is a combination of like privately owned land, land leased by Kennecott copper mine and County state hmm. land. So okay. from what I understand, there's a lot of moving parts of like getting everyone on board and then hiring contractors to do the actual building and making sure that like property lines are respected and stuff like that. So it's, and I mean, you've been at Butterfield. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even from a, like an infrastructure standpoint, like building like that road is super narrow. Yeah. So I assume there's gotta be a lot that goes into like either widening the road or creating parking lots to sustain hundreds of kids. And yeah, it sounds insane. That's going to be probably multi-year. I think they're slated to open like this coming spring. Really? I think. I think huh. they've, last time I rode up there, I thought I saw a bunch of digging taking place. So I think they're, they're underway. Well, I mean, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm <laughs> pumped. It's close to home. So kind of going back before White Pine Athletics, kind of what was your college background and what did you go in and study? Yeah. So I uh, graduated from the University of Utah in um, kinesiology and exercise science and a minor in nutrition. Um, so my background has always been on like physiology and exercise performance and, and the biomechanical side of things. So, so what got you interested in that kind of started that out? Um, so, uh, sport has always been a pretty big part of my life, but in a, I feel like kind of unique way. Like I didn't play typical like ball sports. I'm a horrible athlete Uh in that sense. Um, but I grew up rock climbing and so I was a pro climber for, uh, like a decade and I'd coached, um, I basically started coaching at like age 16. And so for me, I always felt like it was important to, to develop the education behind whatever it is that you're going to do. And I think it's easy to become like a thought leader or become an expert in your, your field without it. But I think it just adds to the credibility, um, Mm -hmm if you can back it up with education. So for me, like knowing that coaching was going to be my, my path, that it made sense to study that and and kind of like commit fully. Nice. So when did the kind of idea of why pine athletics come in? 2016. I was working for, um, for like a CrossFit gym Uh here in, in Salt Lake. And, and I was not having a good time. Um, I was brought in initially to develop, um, what we call like a mountain athlete, program so working with like skiers hikers runners like mountain mountain Mm. athletes cyclists 
and it never really materialized. It was still just CrossFit games, athletes, and and the. I feel like a lot of those mountain guys, they're just. Not a lot of them don't have like super strict workout regimens, do they? Yeah, well, like ski. I, I think of my buddies that like do backcountry skiing and touring. They do some gnarly alpine stuff. They're just like it's getting there, mountain bums. So traditionally, and that's that's part of like I think part of the problem too. But like of of why we started, but. Um, it's getting better. Like uh-huh. climbers used to be traditionally like just dirt bags that yeah. like lived out of vans, but now it's like, okay, vans are costing a hundred grand. So the money's there and they're like, <laughs> yes. well, I might as well hire a coach and do uh-huh. things right. And you're starting to see a lot of like backcountry athletes that are like, okay, I need the legs. Like I don't want to waste half my spring developing yeah. legs. So they True. start co- or start training earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. And so I had kind of a really terrible um, experience at this gym. And I was like, there's so many things that we could be doing differently to make coaching more accessible and more um, individualized than than what we were doing. And so in 2016, I left, um, started White Pine Athletics, focused on mountain athletes and endurance athletes. And over the years, we've kind of refined our approach to working primarily with endurance athletes. But the idea has always been to take a science-based approach and apply it to like the unique needs and the unique physiology of each of our athletes Mm -hmm. Um, rather than at the time like it it was super common for coaches to just print out a 16-week plan and and distribute it to 100 athletes and say that's custom coaching and i couldn't get behind that and i couldn't Mm -hmm. like couldn't support that Um, i kept seeing athletes just getting injured and burned out and overtraining yeah and so we started with the approach of like everything we do is is unique to that athlete mm-hmm. so so i want to touch on the kind of went over the fact that you said you were a pro climber for yeah. a decade so yeah. bouldering it, big wall um sport. so early in the career it was competitive so okay. mostly sport climbing and bouldering um at like the the you know national level side of competition and then uh, i grew up in colorado springs so kind of a i almost want to say a hot spot for climbing the climbing in colorado springs sucks Um, it's not amazing, but it's, uh, central to a lot of areas around it. So Mm -hmm. within like an hour, you could drive to a bunch of what I would say like world-class destinations. Okay. Nice. Um, and so even like three, four hours out of Colorado Springs is rifle Colorado. And like I spent every summer there basically. And so, uh, yeah, so competed for a really long time, transitioned out of competition and into more like outdoor specific, um, kind of goals like sport climbing and going to Spain and and climbing over there. And, um, yeah. And then eventually I kept just getting these like little injury, like little niggles on my fingers Mm -hmm. and just weren't healing. And my physical therapist at the time was actually a climbing partner and she's a triathlete and she's like, well, you can't climb, get a bike. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'll get a bike, got a bike. And I was like, cool. I don't want to go climbing anymore. Like I'm just going (laughs) to sit here and pedal and, enjoy this uh-huh. so have you ever did you ever think about getting into cycling before that or is it just kind of no like wasn't even remotely on my radar wow like growing up in it's funny because to some extent i i never considered myself a cyclist at all uh-huh. but looking back at like my upbringing in colorado springs i always had these like janky bikes that we would you know build or get from pawn shops or whatever mm-hmm. that were horrible like five sizes too yeah. big <laughs> Um, and we would just go rally these like trails, like in garden of the gods around okay. Colorado Springs. And, you know, like me and my like hoodlum, like hood rat friends, we'd go out at like two o'clock in the morning and do these rides just like to just cause. Yeah. And I actually went home, um, 
maybe a year or two ago and was like, I'm going to go ride that route and just like mm -hmm. see what it was. And it's like, we were doing 40 miles with like 5,000 feet on BMX bikes. So it's like, I've, I was like, no, I wasn't a cyclist. And then I look back and I'm like, but I, that's a gnarly, I did yeah. stupid rides. Like, so it was, it's interesting, Jeez. but no, it was never even remotely on my radar. And in fact, like I regret saying I was the punk kid that would see cyclists on the road and I would yell out the window like, Oh, Lance Armstrong. Yeah. Like, you know, so I was that kid. All right. Yeah, it's funny getting into biking now, stumbled into it in my, you know, mid twenties and then looking back on just like we were a bunch of kids just having fun on our like little bikes. Yeah. But it's like the same almost level of enjoyment, especially when I got the gravel bike this mm -hmm. year. It was like, oh geez. This I still don't fun. feel like an adult when I ride my bike. Oh no. Like it's so much fun and like it's a blast. I rode the Mormon Pioneer Trail on a uh, gravel bike. Where's that? Like, so if you go up Immigration and uh -huh. then Big Mountain, okay. you know that trailhead, yep. like by the bathroom, yeah. cruise down that okay. on the gravel bike. And I sounded like a little kid, like <laughs> at a theme park, yeah. like no one was with me. So it was just like annoying, like, woo, like the whole time. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, this is, this is so much fun still. Right. Like uh -huh. the, that enjoyment kind of started to fade in climbing and it hasn't even remotely gotten boring in cycling. Jeez. And so, so how many... So what was that? You've been on a tear, man. You're doing like you're doing well. I it's really awesome. appreciate that coming from you, the endurance Dude. coach, man. I appreciate. No, that I love a lot. it. I love to see like your adventures and stuff on on like Instagram. Like uh -huh. it's awesome. Like you can see the passion. It's super cool. So yeah, thanks, don't man. don't lose I'm that. Trying to spread the stoke. I think bikes sure. are so much fun. Yep, agreed. Like, the what you can see in a day and like what you can do in a day, and it's just awesome. Like go out, ride all the way up to the Salt Lake get a coffee yeah go to immigration then ride yep. back and you just get to experience well so much different things realistically like people talk about the barrier of entry to cycling being high mm -hmm. and to some extent like once you get into the performance side of things yes that's absolutely true yeah but i'm a prime example of like the rides that we did on the bikes that we did them on as kids mm -hmm. like you you can start with nothing right like you can find a bike there are programs used one on and, facebook totally right. or like um bicycle collective like downtown yeah. like they'll help you build a bike it's mm -hmm. it's awesome like so i think it's uh it's such an accessible sport that why not it's amazing like go enjoy it have fun like find that little inner kid and go go cruise on bikes it's oh cool. yeah and the community behind it's way more uh welcoming than i thought because like Definitely. getting into it when i was still living in idaho i was ter i was terrified really yeah so we both know noodle yep brandon nelson and uh yeah, he was like the only person I knew, and I was like, well, "Which is a I good dude to know. Uh, He's yeah, not a yeah. jerk. Oh, not a which jerk is awesome. At all. So, and uh, then finally getting to meet more and more people. It's just like any group ride to go on. It's just a rowdy time for sure. I mean, <laughs> it's and it's it can be intimidating, uh -huh. um, especially if you were like new to the scene. But for yeah. the most part, like most cyclists are cool. There's obviously bad eggs in like every group of people. Yep. But for the most part, like especially here in Salt Lake, I've had a really like positive experience. And I think part of the reason I left climbing was because the culture here was not that amazing. Hmm. Um, and even though I was like a professional, I wasn't, I never felt accepted and I never felt like I had a place to belong. Hmm. Um, and I think that kind of just like wears on you emotionally over time. Yeah. And when I came into cycling, I was like, I could just show up and 75 of these people are now my friends. Like oh, we yeah. all have some common commonality that like makes it so much easier to, to get involved and stay involved. And mm -hmm. I think it's awesome. 
Yeah, it's it's a great time. And so with uh, with White Pine, what are kind of, is it any age group or is it primarily, you said you want to focus a lot on the juniors and developing a lot yeah. of that. But. We, so we kind of, um, our junior program is, is I would say like 50% of what we do. And, and we kind of, to keep me, um, to keep my kind of bandwidth where, where it should be, like from, uh, how much, how much I can handle, we, we limit our junior program. So we have kind of a cap on the number of athletes that we'll take. Um, but yeah, so we work with, uh, I mean, athletes from, you know, like low teens up to like, you know, your senior master riders that are 65 that are just wanting to like not get dropped on group rides or, you know, I've had people email me that are like, Hey, uh, my, my goal is to get super fit and drop my friends on this ride that we do in the spring. And it's like, that's it. Like that's that's his whole like life purpose is I want (laughs) to drop this guy and have him be like, what just happened? So it's like, we work with athletes from all across the spectrum. Like we have two athletes racing uh Ironman 70.3 Worlds this weekend in St. George. Oh nice. And then we have athletes that like have zero interest in racing, but they mm-hmm. just they want they want to be good, right? They want yeah. to feel confident. So Well, there's a lot to like, when you start to research how to get better in cycling or endurance sports in general, like I spend a lot of time on YouTube and it's like what what it's do a I do? Full rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. And it's like what's the proper training and how much should I be riding in zone two and how much should I not be riding? <laughs> well, that, that whole everyone's day? opinion is right. Yeah. Right. Like Whatever everyone speaks with such confidence that it's like, Whoa, this is the approach that I have to take. And yeah. then you'll click on the next YouTube video and they're going to tell you why that's the wrong approach yeah. with such confidence that you're like, Oh man, that guy was totally wrong. And now I have to do this. Like, uh-huh. yeah, there's a lot of information out there. Yeah. It's a lot to, uh, to sift through, especially with, yeah, everything with uh, YouTube and just like buying mm-hmm. equipment and gear yep, yep. and nutrition and what to do and what not to do. And, and frankly, like that's why we exist, uh-huh. right? Like we, the athletes that we tend to work with are those who have those questions, who don't necessarily have the time or desire to figure it out on their own. Like mm-hmm. athletes who are just like, you know, I don't have the energy or the time or, or whatever to be a self-coached athlete and to find the right information. And for us, like our, our sole purpose is to get the right information, the the safest possible training approach into to those people's hands. Mm-hmm. So. so each, each one's just kind of customized based on each person's like performance and I guess time they can put yeah. towards each week. And- so the biggest variables are, are, determining somebody's like schedule, right? Like how much time they realistically actually have for riding, um, or training. Mm -hmm. And then looking at like work-life balance is huge work-life balance and how much that like fits into the equation. Looking at families, like, you know, athletes that have kids and, or, you know, like young babies, like they have significantly less time to train and just figuring out like what we kind of call our minimum effective dose of training. Like what's the bare minimum that I can have you do to elicit the greatest response, right? Or the greatest mm-hmm. adaptation. And so each athlete, that that threshold, that level is a little bit different. And so it's just kind of a game of of determining like what's ideal for that athlete and what approach is going to make the most sense. Like you see people that that say, oh, polarized is the, the best method of training or people that are like, oh no, like reverse periodization or linear periodization. And mm-hmm. the answer is all of them are right. It just depends on who you're giving it to. Mm-hmm. So like if you have 18, 20 hours a week to train, then sure, like a polarized approach might make sense if you yeah. can log that much time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then like 
cool. Like, let's get strong with 45 minutes a day, four days a week, three days a week. Like, yeah. so yeah. But then we also, we've been slowly building up, um, like a semi templated side of the business. Um, which has been a really hard adjustment for me because my focus has always been on individualized coaching mm-hmm. and I've always hated the concept of templates, but I also realized that not everybody can afford or wants a coach like to interact with. Yeah. And so we've been slowly working on like programs for different athletes mm-hmm. at different points of the season that we can kind of farm out. But And so is there still room there for the, like during the templates to, to have kind of an individualized like, they put in their plugins, like how many hours they can put in and like whatnot. And then- yeah. Um, so I've been just over time, just building, you know, trying to go through and thoughtfully build out programs that fit different, um, types of athletes, different schedules, different race styles, different riding formats, like gravel, mountain bike, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that way when an athlete does approach us and they explain their circumstances, I can be like, okay, this is perfect for you. And we can set up like a consultation call to make sure that everything's dialed and like we kind of figure out if anything needs to be adjusted, like where that can be and where we can maximize time, but Mm -hmm. for sure. And so do you also have like a nutritionist as part of the team? Not yet. Uh, So we did. Okay. Um, We, we've played around in the past with having a, a staff dietitian and it, for some reason or another, the interest was always there, but it's always been hard to find the right person to keep on staff that we um essentially trust to do things the way we want them to be done Um, and in the end it just made sense to not do that and so currently like i have it's easier for us to to have trusted professionals that i refer athletes to Mm -hmm. um for like off the bike nutrition because diet like diet and nutrition is such a unique constantly evolving field yeah especially for the person too. oh it's insane like there's and, some goos that i can't stomach well and, and that's on the bike right and, so and like then, yeah off the bike different. the research constantly changes yeah. like if you were to look at dietary advice from five years ago you'd look at it and be like oh that's completely like asinine and no one follows that anymore and so it constantly evolves and and, and i'm not a dietitian right it's so like uh-huh. my minor is in nutrition which for me gives me enough knowledge to get myself in trouble, but not be an expert. Okay. So I work really heavily with athletes on, on the bike nutrition, like Mm -hmm. how to fuel performance, fuel training. And then for anything off the bike, like body composition, lifestyle changes, I'll refer them to a dietitian for sure. Yeah. Cause they're complete. They're pretty different worlds. Absolutely. Like what works on the bike does not work off the bike. You can't like eat trash, ride fast works on the bike. It does not work (laughs) for body composition changes off the bike. Yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, even on the bike stuff, like there's just some things I cannot stomach on the bike and my friends have no problem. And I'm just like, and it's hard for me because I'm that dude. I can eat whatever, whatever. I want. Like, as long as there's carbs and calories in there. The number you're... of times that like we have our, we'll do like a hundred mile ride uh-huh. and at mile 50, I'm like, ooh, it's time for a hot dog at a gas station. And my friends are like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, ooh, hot dog and Sour Patch Kids and pizza. And I can eat I whatever I want. I can do all I the want. candy. The, the food, the, the hot dog sounds pretty, pretty pretty nasty at mile 50. <laughs> so you got, we did, um, the ride that we just did last, this last Tuesday, it was uh-huh. like 118 miles, yeah, like 12 K of climbing. So yeah. That was massive. And at like mile hundred ish or maybe like there's that Jeremy ranch gas station mm-hmm. with the little mini pizzas. Yeah. That's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. That Jeremy ranch loop up there is dude. Yeah. So cool. 
That's yeah. a riot. Do you have any, uh, I don't know if you can call them horror stories, but any of the wildest things you've had to eat when you're just out there bonked? <laughs> no, because I never consider anything. it negative. Yeah. Like I just, I, I'll eat whatever uh-huh. as long as it's not like, I don't like pickles. So if someone wanted to give me a pickle, okay. I'd be like, I'd rather bonk than eat a pickle. Like I would rather fully detonate and really? Uber home than eat a pickle. Oof. But like, I mean, I did a race, um, a few years ago where we had like a team, team van following us around and mm-hmm. they were like, they were joking. They're like, we're going to McDonald's. Do you want anything? And I was like, yeah, I need a burger and fries. And like, they giggled and I'm like, I'm dead serious. And you know, they roll up and stuff a, a medium fry in the Jersey pocket of my Jersey. And I'm just munching on McDonald's. I mean, some solid sodium to keep Dude, down. right. Exactly. Yeah. Carbs and sodium. But it's like, no, I have no, no horror stories. I've never, I've never had a, I mean, knock on wood, never had any GI issues on the bike. So I can wow, literally awesome. eat whatever I want. That... My wife hates me for it. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of hate you for it. Too. Right. That's pretty nice. <laughs> so for anyone kind of like looking into getting into endurance sports, mm-hmm. um, kind of what are some of the tips? Um, honestly, I say anyone starting out, like don't, don't buy into the hype, which is hard for me to say as someone who makes their money in the bike industry, mm-hmm. but it's like, you don't need, you don't need a $10,000 bike. You don't need a $300 Jersey, like just get a bike, ride for the fun of it, do what motivates you, be smart about it. Like some of the biggest mistakes I see are athletes really early on in their like athletic um, lifespan going way too hard, way too soon. Mm -hmm. Like uh, there's a dude I met in 2020 uh, during the whole like Eversting craze. Okay. And I had just done an Eversting and he was like, yeah, I tried to do mine. And like, it was on big mountain. So like from the gate to the top and I'm like, that's a long segment. First yeah. of all, I'm like, that's what five miles. Yeah. That's not a short one. And to accumulate 30,000 feet, I think he was at like 240 miles and, and bailed. Like he quit at like 25,000 feet. Yeah. And I, I mean, was like, how long have you been riding? And he's like, oh, like three months. And it's like, man, like the amount of damage that yeah. he could have caused himself. And then he, he reattempted it like three months later. Did he do so it? It's a, I think he did. On Big Mountain? Uh, I think so. I'm wow, pretty sure. what a gnarly uh, it just sounds Right, yeah. I'm like, when I did it, I was like, give me the shortest segment I can find. Yeah. So I don't like, I, I just can't fathom how much my legs would cool down on that descent and how hard it would be to start up again. But it's, it's like my, time. Like you're just, oh my goodness. It was, I think yeah. he was on the bike for like over 20 hours. Goodness. But like for me, it's like to really maximize that motivation it's like it as hard as it can be like start start small ease into things be smart mm-hmm. and then find people that you trust to 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 mentor you and to like kind of teach you the the ethics and the the expectations of the culture but also understand that some of those ethics are, are rooted in elitism and not everything needs to be followed yeah so yeah going too hard too fast I'm definitely guilty of that. Everybody is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I see it a lot with a lot of the social media. I I see so many people just like running marathons and like doing big bike stuff. And it's like, I want to do this when I'm 40. For sure. And But why stop there? Do it when you're 80. Exactly. Right? That's the whole whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Just for the thing of people going out too hard too fast, like there's going to be some injuries if it's not, you know, taken well and then the whole recovery side of For it sure. and muscle strength. Cause I did horrible strength training and then I got weird, uh, 
muscle strengths and mm. weaknesses in my legs and definitely came from running, you know, but yeah, it's hard to keep the injuries at bay. Injuries, I think, and, and motivation, mm -hmm. like the saddest thing for me to see as a coach of junior riders are, we talk about having 8,000 riders in the Nike scene. One of the most sad things for me is when you see a senior finish their state championship ride and never touch their bike again. And mm -hmm. it, it happens way too often. Um, and I don't know if it's just because they've spent, you know, four hours of their, or four years of their high school career, like under like pressure that they've put on themselves or their parents or their coaches have, but it's like, man, like we take such an amazing sport that's so accessible and like so community based. Right. And yeah. they never want to do it again. That's yeah, very interesting. Cause I come from, you know, small town Idaho. So mm -hmm. there was none of biking or running wasn't really a thing. And so like, yeah, none of us played football after we graduated for sure. And so I would just blindly think that all these high school kids would just continue to ride bikes, right. but it's definitely the crossover. Like you burn out, you get pressured by your parents, like the parents that push, you know, football, baseball kids. Right. Like, well, and it's interesting because like football, baseball, like realistically, you're not, there aren't many opportunities to no do it really outside of play high college or D, like, well, and even after pro, college, right? Yeah. Like the, the percentage of people that make that cut Less is super low. Yeah. So it's like you have your Turkey bowl once a year with friends, but yeah. like cycling, you can go any day of the week yeah and to see people lose the passion for it so early is just so sad mm -hmm. so well and there's like the long-term benefits that come just like from the health side of things absolutely like you can do it forever yeah like the low impact and everything about it but and it will make you i mean realistically like it, it will extend your lifespan right like unless you're a red bull rampage rider but like yeah. other than that like it it will the, your quality of life and your like duration of life expectancy goes up mm -hmm. with, with these like cardiovascular sports. So do you get any feedback from people that come in, um, to get coached from just like their lifestyle changes? Do they talk about that at all? Do you get to see any of the transformations? Yeah. Um, yes and no. I think we, we tend to see less of, of the lifestyle change athletes than we used to. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know necessarily why that is. Um, maybe it's because we've, we've kind of built in a brand image around racing. And I think maybe that to some extent maybe, um, intimidates people, but early on and still occasionally we'll get people that come to us that are like, I'm super unhealthy. Um, like my physician thinks that I need to, to do something to, okay. to kind of combat this and, mm -hmm. and we'll work with them. And I think it's amazing. Um, and so like I actually teach part-time at Salt Lake Community College in the exercise science department. And the course that I teach is um, principles of cardio respiratory health. And so for me, like that is working with students to, to treat exercise more as a preventative care, like healthcare than, mm -hmm. uh, than sport, right? And so I think it is pretty interesting to look at it through the lens of medicine and work with people on lifestyle changes to become healthier. Yeah. Um, but through white pine, we don't, we don't really see it as much as we used to. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess what are some of the biggest health benefits that you do see or coach of with like the endurance side of. Yeah. Um, so from like a physiological perspective, um, we see like a 
increase in uh, like what we call stroke volume, right? So the amount of blood being pumped per beat. So increase in stroke volume um, and just overall um, a healthier cardiovascular system. And like it, it significantly reduces the risk of cardiorespiratory issues like um, uh, heart attack or like cardiovascular disease, like all these things. So from a longevity standpoint, like I think um, endurance sports, it's, it's pretty well documented at this point that it's, it's, it's significantly more effective to exercise than it is to treat wait until a condition is bad enough that it needs to be treated medically, right. With pharmaceuticals yeah. or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but then the, beyond that, I feel like the emotional and psychological benefits of sport, if done in a healthy way, because obviously there are very many like unhealthy ways to engage in sport for sure. But if done healthily, I think are just as important as like the, the cardiovascular and physical side of things as well. Mm-hmm. But cycling is interesting because the older we get as people, like, and we start looking at like, um, like bone density issues, that's not really helping, right? Like it's a very low impact sport, as you, yeah. you mentioned earlier, like maybe a mountain biking, there's a bit. Um, so like my advice to, to cyclists, I don't take my own advice on this would be to like run occasionally or at yeah. least get in the gym and do some impact work, uh-huh. um, to work on like bone density health. But, um, realistically, like it's, there's, there's so much positive benefit to, to endurance sports and cycling mm-hmm. in general that I think it's more people should do it Yeah, for sure. So then you kind of made a crossover between being a professional climber and now competing and racing mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. Did you find any crossover in the mental side of the two sports? Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually I, I don't want to call it an argument. I, I had a, a very polite disagreement with my wife with this, like okay. a couple of days ago, we okay. were talking about it. <laughs> um, cause I met her through climbing uh-huh. and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I, I was trying to explain, I'm sure you get people that ask you like, why would you choose to sit on a bike for eight hours? Uh, yeah. It's probably like, just like the number one question for funsies, guess, yeah. right? Like why, what, what about that is engaging and fun? And I, I never know how to answer it. And the only answer I have is that that particular brand of suffering just clicks with my brain. Uh Like I enjoy going out and finding my limits on a physical, like, and mental like level. Like I think anyone can ride a century at some point, right? Like with a little bit of training, but the thing that's going to shut people down the most is the mental and cognitive load associated with that yeah and i think climbing was pretty similar Mm -hmm. like there is the debilitating like forearm pump or whatever that you you develop in climbing but i think if you can if you can mentally push through that you can accomplish a lot and so i think the crossover from and i i sometimes get a lot of of flack for using the word suffering i think suffering has a really negative connotation but i think the way that I look at it in my mind, like if you, if you can suffer, that's great, right? Mm-hmm. If you can tolerate pain and co- tolerate discomfort and that desire to quit, I think that's a really good quality. Um, and in climbing, like I remember coaching, uh, there's a young, young girl I used to coach, uh, who is a phenomenal climber. She went on to win like world cups and was just like the, like kind of like phenom of the, of that generation. Nice. And from a mental standpoint, like she was strong. There was very little I could do to get her stronger physically. Mm-hmm. But I used to get her pumped out of her mind, like just debilitatingly cracked on the wall. And then I'd have her hang from holds and I'd ask her math questions. Oh. And she was like, this is the dumbest thing. Like, why are we doing this? But it's like anything you can do to take your mind off of that 
that deep suffer mm-hmm. and focus on anything else like the amount of time that she like the time to exhaustion of hanging there increased like substantially wow i think cycling follows a similar um pattern it's like you can be and you know this like you can be in that like absolute hurt locker where your legs are just like you're like i'm done i'm cooked i, I want to sell my bike i don't want to move my legs. right but you're like but i only have a thousand more feet of climbing yeah so it's like you immediately go from this i can't go any further to well it's only a thousand more feet right well it's 19 percent. yeah so i think like the crossover of that mental um that grit i think has always been really appealing to me yeah when the question of people like ask like why like how is it fun to ride your bike for 10 hours i'm instantly like it's it's not but like I is. take in a lot of pretty, <laughs> I take in pretty views throughout yeah. the thing, but it, you know, after s- six hours, it's like, geez, what am I doing out here? And then like after yeah. and like the next day, it's like so euphoric, like the, For the sure. high just lasts. And- it's interesting because within any given ride time, right? Like yeah. three hours, six hours, eight hours, the, the amount of time you have, the number of conversations that you have with yourself, yep. the self-discovery that you have on any given ride, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. That's like the normal thing I want everyone to experience. Like when you're out there and there's nothing else and you've got, you know, more than half your ride left. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, how much time you've got. For sure. If it's a 10 hour ride or a three hour, it's like, well. Suck it up princess. It's time to go. (laughs) Yeah. And whatever's going on in life, like you're out there Yep. and don't take your music. And it's just. What you just touched on though, like no matter what you have going in your life, I think is such a cool thing to kind of consider with those long rides. Cause mm-hmm. it's like none of the world's problems are going to be solved on that six hour ride. And if they are right, like even if you come up with some mind blowing, <laughs> like you can't, there's nothing you can implement within that time. Right. Yeah. So it's time to really like get out of your brain and mm-hmm. get out of your own like psyche and just like focus on the road. Yeah. And I think that's super cool. Cause it's for me, like from a mental health perspective, I love getting out on a ride. And if mm-hmm. it's like, if I have something that's just gnawing at me in the back of my mind, I know that when I'm, you know, 50 miles into the middle of nowhere, there's nothing I can do about it. So there's no point in stressing about it. Yeah. And it kind of lets you let go and release a little bit, I think. Yeah, for sure. It definitely helped me a lot with uh, a lot of anxiety and like there's so much in life that's going on and like you don't know how to juggle anything. And yeah. then you quickly see once you start the ride, it's like, okay, I'm only going to be out here three hours, but I don't need to focus on it. And you just get to see that like you can take a breath, like yep. you can calm down. For sure. Like you can be out here, you don't have to be plugged into anything and it's going to be all right. Like yep. you can get back and then you can tackle what you have to today. 100%. And Agreed. it can kind of just like end there. Yeah. So what, what were, I guess from another thing from what we just mentioned, how else has cycling kind of changed your outlook on life or kind of, um, I don't know that it really has changed much on, on like the outlook of, of life in general. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, if anything taught me almost a greater sense of patience, um, just cause you know, it takes time to, to really progress and to see kind of growth in the area that you want to see in, in sport or cycling or whatever it is, like whether that's you know, getting faster Strava times or, or whatever, like none of it happens overnight. And I'm mm-hmm. a very impatient person, like very, very <laughs> impatient. And so for me, like just my first FTP test to whatever, it's like the amount of time that I had to, to really like focus on patience and, and ex- it kind of respecting the process, right. Rather mm-hmm. than just expecting the process to shift around my desires, 
yeah. is interesting. And it's applied, I think, to um, a lot of areas of like in, in business for me too. Like I'm very good at what I'm good at and I'm bad at what I'm bad at and I'm impatient with all of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's taught me to kind of slow down and like learn the processes and, and figure out what I'm bad at and what I'm good at and how to fix it. But yeah. That's awesome. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so kind of what's the what's next up for cycling or got any big races next year you're Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out twenty twenty three. Um so this year I did two of the four BWR like Belgian Waffle Ride mm-hmm. races. Um and that was super fun. I did San Diego and uh cedar city which i think both of them are kind of a disaster for me um which happens like no not every race can go the way you want it Mm -hmm. to go and sometimes you implode um so i think from a uh redemption perspective i'll probably do those again in 2023 um there's a race in robidoux nebraska or like scotts bluff nebraska Mm -hmm. um that is a blast it's called like robidoux rendezvous um and I'll definitely be at that again. It's usually like end of June, just the, the culture and the community and the vibe they've created around that race. Like it'll be on my list for ever, assuming it continues. But, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, like, as I'm sure you've seen, I like stupid rides. Like I, I like, yeah, you do some gnarly ones. <laughs> I just, I enjoy, like we talked about like that suffering uh-huh. and I'm like, I, I really love the, the concept of being like, all right, well, can I do this faster or can I go harder or can I go longer or uh-huh. do something steeper? So I'm, I'm very sure that 2023 will have a lot of dumb, big objectives that I haven't figured out why I enjoy yet, but yeah. All right. So what about uh, you? Oh, you going to come race with me? Sure. Yeah. You have a mountain bike, right? I don't. You should get a mountain bike. I I really want one. Cause I'll, I'll for sure be doing more, more XC and gravel than road this year. I think, I think unfortunately the road scene in the u.s is sad yeah so for like sure. road and gra- or gravel and mountain bike but come race yeah i'm uh i'm really wanting to get a xc bike eventually down the road two three years i want to do leadville just for sure yeah and that's one of the ones i'm playing with this year okay it's hard it's um because you got to qualify right well, you got to go to some of the qualifiers or there's the lottery oh, okay so for me it's hard because i only have so much time mm-hmm. right like the amount of time that i sp- that i want to spend developing our our athlete program means less racing for me so i have to be very selective yeah. about what i race and then with that there's the financial component like i can do robidoux for a hundred and something bucks or i can go do like uh leadville for like 500 bucks yeah. which is from what i understand the support's amazing but it's still hard to wrap my brain around plus the cost of getting to leadville and camping or sleeping in leadville and then it's like, okay, well, if I have to qualify, then I have to factor in the qualification race and travel to that. So it's yeah. Leadville's on my list for sure. I would love to do it. Um, I told a buddy of mine like four days ago that I have zero interest in doing lead boat, but now I kind of really want to do lead boat. <laughs> like now that I've said I don't want to do it, I'm like, <laughs> but don't I? Um, yeah. So that would be super cool. But yeah, dude, get a mountain bike and let's do Leadville. Yeah, I need to do it. Yeah, next year, I don't, it's bad. I, I need to put something on the docket to like really go for again. Like Lotus Jaw Relay this year was super fun. Yeah. I want to go do it solo again, maybe. <laughs> there are some like ultra endurance stuff over in Europe I want to do. Dude, yeah. Um, I think, have you looked into like the hot route? 
Yeah. That I've always wanted to race that and it's, I don't know when I'm going to, uh-huh. but it's going to happen. Yeah. There's one in uh, Spain that you cross the Canary Islands. Yeah. It's 400 miles and you just race to the next ferry. Man. And so the it's not really one, a race. Like it's kind of like the gravel scene in those <laughs> fields. Like you're out there just to experience for sure. a true suffer fest. And then you get to regroup with everybody and just you know, tell the war stories that happened out there in the dark. <laughs> so I, I ride for a, um, GPS com- company, like a bike computer company mm-hmm. named Brighton and they're based out of Taiwan. Okay. And I've been chatting with those guys, like dropping these hints of like, I'd really love to come do the, the Taiwan okay. KOM challenge. Like, yeah. have you ever seen that? I haven't. That race looks phenomenal. It's okay. super short. I think it's only like a hundred case, like 60 miles, but I think Mountain it's bike or road, road okay. but I think it's like 10 K avert. So it's just like Jeez. this super steep climb in this like really narrow canyon ravine thing uh, through Taiwan. So it's it looks amazing, and that's been on. I really want to do that one. Yeah, they yeah just keep throwing some hints, and if they need I some, think, if think they need happen. some media creation about. See, it. See, there you go. Hey, no, I was like, hey. dude, I got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those type of events definitely want to look into, and I'll be spending some time in Europe next year. So hopefully, just get my bike and go yep explore europe sweet it's pretty sweet right on um yeah it's just a few more questions for you yeah, yeah. before we get off but um kind of these goals that kind of consume a lot of time with cycling like mm-hmm. with these races you have there's so much preparation kind of what advice not necessarily just in cycling but in setting goals like just out there in the future like some are what are the things that kind of help you keep that mental resiliency towards them yeah i think we always talk about with our athletes, like, and, and I think this is a pretty universal term at this point, but like smart goals, mm-hmm. right? So like, I think being a, as objective as possible and creating, like, I'm a really big fan of, of separating process from outcome goals and especially in sport. And I think, um, it's like outcome goal being like, I want a podium or like, I want to, I want to win, win lead bill, let's say. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, um, that's kind of an unhealthy goal for a lot of people. Like, unless you're maybe Keegan, like yeah. Keegan can be like, I want to win Leadville and then he'll just, he can he'll do that. it. Yeah. Right. But, um, in the U S right now, I feel like that's, that's not very you know, uh-huh. applicable to everybody. So I think, um, my biggest piece of advice is, is take your outcome goal, right. And, and break it into bite-sized chunks of process goals mm-hmm. and, um, and find something like, even if it's two years out, right? Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do Leadville this year, but it, let's say I do it next year and it's like, all right, well, I want, let's say top 20, right? Or whatever. There's very little I can do to affect how that's going to turn out. I can't control who shows up, right? So how strong other people are going to be, I can't control whether like all these variables that affect that outcome, but mm-hmm. I can control these little tiny process goals. Like I'm, I'm like, okay, I need to get, you know, more comfortable riding in a more aerodynamically aggressive position on the mountain bike. That's something I can easily address. Mm -hmm. So like break it into a chunk of like, okay, I'm going to go out on rides and, and start messing with my fit over time to be a little bit more aggressive or like I need to be able to put out like hard tempo efforts, 10 hours into a ride. Like I can, I can start breaking that into bite-sized chunks and, and making meaningful change within that. And so I think my biggest piece of advice is don't focus on the outcome completely. I think it is important to have a, a like kind of audacious goal out there. Yeah. But really, I think it's more important to to 
to make the tiny changes that are going to lead to that. And I think a lot of athletes that I work or have encountered with in the past, like they, they just jump straight to that. Like I want, I want to go to the Olympics and it's like, cool. We have a lot of things we need to do before we can get to the Olympics. Yeah. And so I think, um, yeah, biggest piece of advice is just break it down into pieces of things that you can, you can start working on today. Like to my, my, my kind of, one of my theory or philosophies is that tomorrow starts today and I can keep talking about what I want to do tomorrow, but unless I start doing something today, mm. it's never going to happen. That's awesome. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. That was a ton of fun. Super so fun. if someone wants more information, kind of what you do, just whitepineathletics.com. You got yeah. a website. Um, so whitepineathletics.com where there's an Instagram. So my Instagram is at coach Kyle underscore WPA, or you can go to Instagrams. I think it's just whitepineathletics. Okay. So I'll put them all in the show notes, everybody. So, awesome. so yeah, appreciate the time. Man. Of course, dude. Thanks for having me. All right. See you, everybody.